started. This meeting is being recorded. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Edna White, and I'm so glad you're with me today. Today, you are on Keeping It Real on Purpose, the place and the podcast where you meet real people with real stories in real time, all on purpose. And today, our guest is none other than Daryl Stickle, who is an author of Building Trust. Welcome to Keeping It Real on Purpose. Thanks so much for having me, Edna. It's such a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. Now, how do you show up in the world? You know, I you told me that was your signature question, and it's a good one. Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, I I am somebody who uh, cares deeply about other people, for the most part. Um, I was born and raised in a small town where it was in northern Canada. People had to work together to survive. And so it developed this sense of empathy and this belief that we should work together. Um, and so I have pretty much devoted my life to helping people better understand what trust is, how it works, and how to build it. Mm-hmm. So I think that collaboration is is human being superpower. Um, yes. and, and we have a bunch of problems that we've created in the world that are complex and challenging and we actually need to work together to fix them. But trust levels are at some of the lowest we've ever seen. Yeah. And so I'm trying to help make the world a better place. I agree with you totally. I am one who loves to collaborate with everybody. I believe the more, the better, you know, and it's, it, just, it just makes sense. Why would I do things alone? I always felt like that. Like, even when I was young and I was selling Girl Scout cookies and, you know, we're all competing beating against each other, I'd say, right. hey, yeah, I tell my friend, hey, me and you, let's go together. You sell these kind, I sell these kind. And we got much more done. Like, I had all the patches, because, but I was thinking like that all the time. Never knew it was a superpower. So yes. <laughs> yes. So excited. Thank you for that. I think this show is for me. Audience, excuse me, this show is for me with Daryl today. Okay. So, now that we know that how you uh, you show up in the world, what's your story around building trust? Your your book. So, I was I wrote my doctoral thesis on building trust in hostile environments uh, okay. at the business school at Duke University, and wow. I had developed this sort of deep theoretical understanding of of trust and how it worked, and then I ended ended up going to work for this big management consulting firm, McKinsey and Company, okay. and they kind of said, wow, you've got really good client hands. Like you're really good with our clients. We're going to send you to the worst places possible. <laughs> um, you know, places where people are unhappy and upset and, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a strike or there's, you know, people just aren't getting along or they don't want us to be there. Right. And so I was getting a chance to apply the stuff that I'd learned. And then I got hurt. Uh, I was involved in an automotive accident in 2001. A, a cab okay. I was in rear-ended another vehicle. And I ended up with post-concussion syndrome. And wow. that meant I couldn't work 80 hours a week anymore, uh, like right. I'd been doing at McKinsey. And so I was injured for a bit, but then one of my colleagues came to me and said, look, I'm head of strategy for a mutual fund company now. I just want you to come talk to us. And so that started a pattern of me helping people figure out trust problems. 
And I, I devoted the rest of my career to that. And so I started to have, you know, these learning experiences of coming alongside people and helping them resolve problems that they were facing. And it led to me learning even more about the topic mm -hmm. than I had. And I became very practical and really applied and, and really wanted to help people make a difference in their lives. That's good. Uh, yeah. And I came to realize and that I, I was dropping grains of sand in the ocean, creating these little mm -hmm. tiny ripples. Right. And what I needed was people to come alongside me and pick up great big rocks mm -hmm. and, and create a splash. And so I wrote the book to try to help more people understand how I think about trust. Because when people see the work that I do, they go, well, this, this just makes common sense. It feels obvious. Right. And... And it's not obvious until they see it, but once they've right. seen it, they, they kind of start to understand it. And, and there are things that they can do that, that make their lives better, that change things for them. And so I wrote the book to try to reach more people and to try right. to have a broader impact in the world. Right. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So how did, how do you, how does leadership and building trust work in a relationship? How do how do we how does it look? So, when we're deciding, and and I I think you know I focused the first book on leadership because it okay the more senior we become, the less direct control we have over outcomes. The more dependent we are on yeah. everyone we lead to reach our goals and objectives. Right, and so it seemed like an obvious place. But when we're deciding whether to trust someone, we ask ourselves really two fundamental questions. The, the first question is how likely am I to be harmed? Mm -hmm. which is perceived uncertainty and the second question is if i'm harmed how bad's it going to hurt which right. is perceived mm -hmm. vulnerability mm -hmm. and so you know the definition that i use for trust is it's a willingness to be vulnerable okay when you can't completely predict how someone else is going to behave so it's it's got these elements of uncertainty and vulnerability baked into it mm. and so if we think about uncertainty times vulnerability that gives us a level of perceived risk and we each have a threshold of risk that we're comfortable with. Right. So some people are more comfortable trusting than others are. But for all of us, we look at that uncertainty and then we multiply it by the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And that gives us this level of perceived risk, which means that if uncertainty is high, say early in a relationship, you and I have just met. Mm -hmm. And so our uncertainty is a little bit higher. That means right. the vulnerability we can experience or tolerate is fairly small. Right. But as you and I get to know each other better, that uncertainty mm -hmm. starts to drop and you start to get to know what I'm about. You start to get a sense right. of me. The range of vulnerability you can tolerate starts to grow. Right. And in our really deep relationships, we just have a really clear sense of the other person. We feel like we know them really well. We're really able to predict them. So the uncertainty is really small and the range of vulnerability we can tolerate is quite large. Right. So now you you made me think of something because go ahead go ahead no no lose. you okay I want to hear so so when you when I when you took a big talking about vulnerability in relationships I was thinking when a situation with husband and wife and you know let this pick the wife okay I, everybody picks the husband the wife steps out in the relationship right. share with us that's what that that's what you're sharing with us right that. How, what does that vulnerability look like now and in that situation? Like yeah. the way you showed it. <laughs> yeah. So, so when we're, when we're in love with someone, 
we're just profoundly vulnerable to them and we share everything we share kids and and networks and relationships and history and all those kinds of things now all of a sudden the uncertainty has gone way up okay because they've they've done something we didn't think they would do right right and Mm -hmm. let's pretend for a minute that it's you and i and 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 you and i've been happy together and now all of a sudden you've you've made a misstep or you've fallen out of love with me or you've right. found someone else who's more compelling. And now I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, Oh my God, well, my whole right. world has changed. Right. Right. And all of my experiences of you and, and my stories of you have mm-hmm. shifted and my uncertainty has right. gone way up, which means that my tolerance for vulnerability is way down. Okay. And so I start trying to find ways to feel less vulnerable. Okay. And, you know, if, if we're going to, if we're going to recover that relationship, okay, then you would actually need to come to me and, and be able to tell me your story of why, what, okay. what happened happened okay. so that I could understand because we interpret the world through stories, right? But you'd also right. need to try to be able to articulate my story okay. of the pain that was caused and the damage that did and the, right. the implications for me, because how am I vulnerable? It's not just the feeling of my loss of, of certainty, but it's also a mm-hmm. rejection of me as a person. Right. You know, it's, it's threatened the stability of all the relationships I have and my identity. Um, and there's all these other things going on, right? If other mm-hmm. people find out, will I be humiliated? Am I going to lose relationships that I cherish? as well as the one with you. So we see this massive spike in uncertainty and it makes us incredibly uncomfortable. And so we, we try to find ways to feel less vulnerable. And unfortunately what ends up happening a lot of times in situations like that is we start to vilify the other person. And so we start saying negative things about them, telling terrible stories about them. Right. Right. To try to activate our yeah. social network so that right. people support us right. so we don't feel quite as alone and devastated. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that helps I in the short term, but it makes it harder for us to get back together, get yeah. back to that place. Right, right. So, but like, what happens, like, um, if a woman, like, like say they've, they've, they've been battered for many years, they're still with the person. How do you explain that, though? You know, if you're... Oh. If your um, what is it? Your vulnerability is this low when all these like he's beat on you. He's, he's you know he's stepping out in the marriage. He's doing all these crazy, never coming home, and every experience right. you have with him is you no know, good. And and you're up here, and then how how does that happen? That they still that happens that they still allow them to be there. Yeah. What happens in that scenario? Oh. You're asking great <laughs> questions. Edna. Clearly, you're you're skilled at this. Um, <clears throat> part of the challenge. So, when I grew up, my father was was an alcoholic, um, okay. and he he he'd been injured in an automobile accident. He struggled with with addiction to alcohol, and it was a his mechanism for coping. Mm-hmm. And despite how bad the situation was, I was always terrified that things were going to get worse. And a lot of times what we don't realize is, is we're in a level of happiness that's sort of here and normal is so far above us. 
Right, right. But we're scared that if we lose that other person, we're actually going to fall further. Gotcha. That things are going to get worse. And they they present this real challenge for us. One of the things that I did that, that most of the other trust literature didn't talk about was, was I included this notion of emotions, right? Okay. Most of the trust literature treats people like they're rational actors. Okay. And I, I, don't, I don't know if you've met people before, Edna, but we're not always <laughs> rational. <laughs> Yeah, I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you've ever dated someone or had children or, or relatives, yeah. you know yeah. people aren't always rational. No, and, not rational. No. I love the word actor. I love that too. <laughs> yes. So so when when we get into these emotional states, mm-hmm. when we love someone, mm-hmm. then we don't see, we don't think rationally. And so most of the trust literature focuses on these sort of rational approaches to solving these problems. But if we're in a real emotional state, either hating someone or loving someone, we don't get the same traction, right? We have to intervene there first. And, you know, somehow in these broken situations, people have a hard time trusting everyone else because they feel so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're scared of the consequences. So if, right. if you're in a, an abusive situation and I come to you and I say, I want to help, you may have had the experience in the past of people saying that and then not showing mm-hmm. up in a way that was really helpful. Right. right. And there were consequences for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times kids who are in bad spots are told by adults around them, Hey, this is going to get worse for you if you tell anyone. Okay. And they struggle to find someone they can trust. Right. To find a place that's safe. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. That's good. Now, so is needing and how does needing fit in with trusting? Whoa. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I need to know this stuff. It's good. This is good. This is yeah. Well, really you're nailing good. it. You're <laughs> nailing it. So sometimes we need things, and it, it causes us to be willing to be vulnerable. Okay. To get those things that we need, we need connection. We need belonging. We're willing to put up with possible abuse. We're willing to make ourselves a bit more vulnerable to get our needs met. Uh-huh. And a lot of times we're not, we're not as intentional about it as we could be. We're not as smart about it as we could be. And sometimes we, we make a mistake by thinking, well, if I just go along, I'll get what I need. Okay. As human beings, we have this tendency to have an approach that, that that leads to short-term satisfaction for long-term suffering. Okay. All right. Yeah. We, we see that in, you know, people addicted to substances or, yeah. you know, overeating or lack of exercise or mm-hmm. as human beings, we're not always great at connecting things that have long-term benefits for us. Right. I think it's why we have parents at the start, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're able to yeah. Hopefully come alongside and go, yeah, I know you want that. It's not going to be good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Let me show you how, you know, you can have that after you do this. Um, right. Exactly. 
but as parents, we're not always great at communicating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like this. I like this. Go ahead. Keep going. Well, so, so I think that there are 10 levers that we can pull to build trust with folks. Gotcha. And, and for me, you remember I talked about uncertainty times vulnerability equals risk. Yes. So building trust actually becomes fairly simple, right? It's where does uncertainty come from and how do we take steps to reduce it? Where does vulnerability come from and how do we take steps to reduce that or help people manage it? Right. And so there uncertainty comes from us as individuals and from the context that we're embedded in. Okay. And so most of the trust literature focuses on that individual piece. What do, what do I do to show you that I'm trustworthy? Mm-hmm. And they've got three levers that they talk about and, and I use them as well. It's, it's benevolence, okay. integrity, and ability. Okay. Now benevolence is the belief you've got my best interest at heart. Right. Integrity is, do you actually follow through on your promises and do your actions right. line up with your values? Right. And ability is, do I have the confidence to do what I say I'm going to do? Right. Oh, that's good. So a lot of times what I do is I systematically, and this is what I do in the book as well, is I systematically walk people through the 10 levers okay. and then talk about how to pull them because people who aren't very good at building trust have a lever that they pull and they pull it over and over again. But you and I are connecting. And if you feel like, wow, Daryl's a bit of a charlatan. He doesn't have my interests at heart. He doesn't have my audience's interest at heart. <laughs> Me telling you I have a PhD and that I doesn't do anything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. So I, I pulled the ability lever and I miss. Mm-hmm. But if I'm able to say to you, hey, I really care deeply about you and your audience, and I want people to get this, I want them to have better lives. That's right. the right lever. Right. And that's me trying to pull it in the right way. Right. And so what I do is I help people add to their toolkit so that they can pull all the levers mm-hmm. because those who are better have multiple levers that they can pull. Those who are really good, they have multiple levers and they know when to pull which one. Yeah, I love this. This So one of my favorite levers is benevolence. This belief Mm -hmm. that you've got my best interest at heart. And a lot of times, you know, when I talk to leaders or I talk to people in relationships, they'll say, I'm pulling that one. I I pull these levers all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, says who? Right? (laughs) Because... It doesn't matter if I think I'm benevolent, Edna. You have to right. believe it. Yeah, right, to exactly. Really work. Yeah. It's got to land with you, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I work with families, you know, I'll be standing in front of a large group of parents and I'll say, who here has their kid's best interest at heart? And all the hands go up because they should, right? Right. And then when I flip that question, I say, how many of your kids would say that? Oh, that's good. That and is it, good. It, that it's is somewhat good. hesitant, right? Yeah. And so the question is, how do we make that land? Right? Because mm-hmm. if, if it's not obvious in a place where it's supposed to be obvious. Right. That's good. Then I like that. How do I communicate it to you in a way that makes mm-hmm. sense? And, and part of what I do in the courses that I deliver and in the, in the book is I talk people through, here's a template. So you're going to mm-hmm. have a conversation tomorrow. And you're going to say to someone, I had this guest on, his name was Daryl. And, you know, he was this Canadian, so I'm not sure how much I can believe him. (laughs) But but he was talking about benevolence and how important it is. 
Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's having the belief that you've got my best interest at heart. And I think I act in people's best interest, but it doesn't always seem to land that way. Have you ever experienced that? Mm-hmm. And the person you're talking with is going to go, oh, yeah. And, and you know, you're bringing all this to light. I use, I love asking people, am I getting the message across? Yeah. You know, I, and everybody's like, you're always giving surveys. I say, I want to make sure what I'm saying is not just for me. It's kind of right. be you like am i doing the right thing for you what do you want to see what do you want to know you know i really love this i love this i love this very much so so. after we've gotten the person thinking about times when they've been unable to show benevolence we Mm -hmm. we dig a little deeper we narrow the funnel and we say has someone ever really acted in your best interest right have you ever really felt like someone had your back what did they do what did they say how did it feel now I'm getting hints, right? And I'm getting a sense of what benevolence looks like for you. Right. Then I narrow the funnel further and I say, what would it look like if I was benevolent to you? Mm-hmm. What does success look like for you? How do I help you get there? Right. What, are, what matters yes. most to you? Yes. And so now we've created this transparency where later on, I can refer back to that and say, you remember when you told me this is what really mattered to you, or this is what success looked like to you? This yeah. is me trying to help you get there. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Oh, I love this. Now you talked about, now I, I, okay, no, first let me ask you this. It's benevolence, integrity, what's the last one? Ability. Ability, I'm writing this down. So ability, okay. And that's our favorite now, lever. Ability? Oh yeah, I've got these kinds of credentials. I, I think much. I think mine is integrity. Mine's Good for integrity. you. I pull that all the time. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I pull it all the time. I, I pull it all the time. Um, I I'm learning that I didn't know it was a lever, you know, and now ability and benevolence are in there, but definitely I'm always pulling integrity. Like right. if you don't show up on time. You said you're going to be here and do something for me. I take that really serious because yeah. I just, I, you know, I take that serious. I pull that lever quick. They're like, they're not trustworthy. You know, right. that, no, well, that, you know, and so I take that integrity is important to me. I know I pull it all the time, but now I know there's benevolence and ability. I might be pulling a couple of new levers now. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and then, then there's the context lever. That's the other place that uncertainty comes from right? Okay. Okay. And so you and I started talking early on. I said, well, where do you live, Edna? And you said, I live on Long Island. And I said, oh, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the New York Islanders. Do you like hockey? No, I don't really care for hockey. Here's why. (laughs) And, and, and so we're starting to explore, right? And learn Mm -hmm. about each other a little bit. Yeah. And, and the context is something that really influences our behavior. Yeah. Right. And so, I was doing work with the Canadian military in Afghanistan. Ooh. Well, I was here, they were there, but they were trying to yeah. get me to help them figure out how to build trust with the locals. And a big part of it is the context. Yeah. You know? So I used to ask people, I'd say, if you could be anywhere doing anything with anyone right now, how mm-hmm. many of you would be sitting here listening to me speak? And I stopped doing it, Edna, because it wasn't good for my self-esteem. But <laughs> Well, when I said to people, I bet, I I bet said, not. 
Yeah. And I go, well, then why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> Do you thought right? about it? Like, no, that, that's, a, that's a question I have to get rid of, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to ask that. I know what the answer is. Yeah, right. no. Pick another question. <laughs> but, but the question then is, why are you here then? And it's right. because I have to for a class. My right. boss told me. Yes. I've got this yeah. problem at work that's driving me crazy. Yeah. My wife stepped out on me. And I want yeah. to try to rebuild the relationship, Yeah, whatever that looks like, right? And so mm -hmm. the more we can explain our context, the less uncertainty there is for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And it helps explain why we trust some people without knowing anything about them, right. right? We go to a restaurant, we get in a cab. Societies function because of trust. They're, it's a social lubricant that allows us to oh, engage. Yeah. And, you know, I, I use the doctor's office as an example, right? You go to the doctor's office, they say, say, take off your clothes, and you do, right? Yeah. I've tried that. No, I, no, I don't. I said, for what? I asked them, for what? <laughs> <laughs> and my doctor's office say, you're the, you're the only one that does it. I want to know what you're doing to me. Like, I asked them, I don't care. It's the same doctor over and over again. I said, for what? They just look at yeah. me like, my mother says to me, you were the, uh, the hardest child because you needed to know why something was always happening to you. Yeah, I need right. to know. And it's always from little, my little self. Can't help it. <laughs> so, so for most people, they see the white coat they, they, and they take off their clothes, right? But if we change that to a gas station restroom and we had the same two yeah. people, same clothes, same narrative. It goes from credible to creepy in a heartbeat. Yeah, right? in a minute. <laughs> yeah, and and so, so if if we can start to understand each other's context, yeah, it makes it easier for us to predict each other's behavior. Right, and uh, it, we can also take steps within the context mm -hmm. to constrain ourselves to make it easier for people to predict us. Right. Right. Like I can make public commitments. I could put up a peace bond. We could sign a contract. There are all kinds of rules that we can put in place. Yeah. To make it easier to predict how we're going to behave. Right. And so all of these are focused on that element of uncertainty. Right. So that's four of the 10 levers. There's two levers in vulnerability. One is coming to understand what people feel is at stake and how they value mm -hmm. it, how scarce it is for them. Right. And also understanding their context. So you understanding my context reduces your uncertainty. Me understanding mm -hmm. your context helps me understand your vulnerability. Okay. And so, again, we can reach in and understand these levers and pull them by having conversations, including the other person in the conversation, provoking a bit of empathy for ourselves mm -hmm. and for them. So that we can actually have these intentional conversations that allow us to engage in a way that we normally don't. Excellent. And after the trust decision, we have perceived outcomes. You know, we interpret the world through stories. And so we may have exactly the same experience, but have dramatically different perceptions of what just happened. Right. Yeah. And so if you and I were, you know, if we had had the, the time beforehand, or if we have another conversation, there'll be a repeated play. And so our perceptions mm -hmm. of this outcome will have an impact on our next engagement. 
Right. And if you and I said, hey, let's make the best podcast ever together. Right. Then we would have a shared understanding of what that meant and what it looked like. Mm -hmm. And we'd both be pulling in the same direction. And then afterwards, we could try to create a shared story. So that we actually walked away with the same understanding and the same goals and objectives for our next exchange. Okay, great. That is powerful. What you're sharing today is very powerful and um, I like it all. So um, I want to say to you that um, this won't be the last conversation we will be having because there's so much in what you said, you know, um, and I, you know, we only have about a certain amount of time, but yeah. I want to do something along, along the lines of we need to understand this and we need to get the message out on building trust. And I think you have the ability to do that. And if we bring our audiences together and, and I, you know, involve other people on other, other parts of this, I think this would look beautiful. And I know the audience would, would really, really, because I'm engaged. I'm engaged. <laughs> I yeah. know what I, I, I can see it. I am totally, I can visualize it. I have a last question and then we got to kind of like wrap it up. You talked okay. about normal. You talked about normal. Right. How does normal play into this? Because we're going through an experience i don't think i ever think about normal maybe right. i do and it's subconscious but how do we think about normal as you were talking about well okay wow um part of the challenge that we're facing right now edna and the reason the trust levels are so low is because our vulnerability has stayed kind of where it is okay. but our uncertainty is bouncing all over the place Gotcha. So that conversation about normal feels like a moving target to me. Okay. And so, so what we define as normal or good or, or bad seems to be in flux. And you're not akin with normal because, because, you know, there's standard normal curves and you're not bound by them, right? You're out at the front end of that thing, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're achieving and, and excelling and, and you're mm -hmm. an exception in the world. And, you know, I, I've been around a lot of people who are exceptional in different ways, right? right? I mean, mm -hmm. I have a lot of flaws, but there are some places right. where I, I'm strong. And so when, right. when I come together with people, we mm -hmm. work together to share our strengths. Mm -hmm. But I think normal is, is a, a word that may be fading from our vocabulary because okay. You know, I, I, I understand that. I really do. I understand. Yeah. That. Yeah. This has been such that. a great I really conversation. I just want to know, because you said normal. You said normal. I was like, wait a minute, normal. You know, so I got to think about normal too. Like, you know, I think when I think in like practically on, on, on creating trust with someone, first, I'm, I'm a real practical person. Energy yeah. to energy. And sometimes I'll say, okay, I'm not, their energy is not saying they want to be involved with me, right? right. So I engage to see if that's true because maybe they're having a bad day and the energy is off. And right. as you continue that road and it's still not changing and it's still low, very low, and then I can only do what I can do. So yeah. now I'm like, okay, we can't go any further. So I'm, you know, my uh, vulnerability, and uh, now it's down, like, I'm not going to open that door and share something that could possibly be
be used against me. So I'm not going to do that. So you have such that, great that, insight. <laughs> well, that's the way I feel. It's like, that's the way I work with everyone, no matter who it is. I have to feel them. And yeah, I felt you right away. And then you started talking about hockey. I was like, ugh. I'm glad you didn't say football, because if you said New York football, I would have, you'd have been like, okay, I'm getting off the show, because <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> I would have said, no, New York, horrible, dump them, get out of here. You would have said, oh, I don't want to be on the show. But you, you talked about something that's neutral. I could say no. And what's so incredible, my trust level with you rose because you was like, I said no, and you didn't get offended. See, right. some people would, you know what I'm saying? Right. So I could feel that, but you did, I felt it like, you were like, okay. And you said, yeah, I get it. And you just like, but you didn't have one, a feeling about it one way or the other. So my trust level with you rose. I've been on lots of interviews and the more they talked, the more... <laughs> You know, my vulnerability was like all the way to the ground. I was like, oh, this right. is not going anywhere. And the resolve for that is to, to say to them, this was not a great interview. I'm sorry. Right. We, you know, we have to work on this, this or that. And, you know, I can't, I can't air this. I can't air this. This is not a good, you know, interview. And right. so either they take my advice or they never call back. So it's right. one the other. <laughs> well, so what right, I love so I, is, I, I build that. I build trust. I mean, they, you do. I think they believe that I'm telling them the right thing because I wouldn't want to lie to them. So th that's why integrity yeah. is so important. You know, it's a really important to me because if I keep that to myself and don't air it, I'm not being truthful with them and I'm not helping them. Right. So that's why I share that, you know, and I've, I've probably did that twice. And, and so, I love the people, but they they weren't they weren't they weren't personable. They weren't like hey, I know I'm work. a little bit up. I'm a little bit up there. <laughs> I'm a little bit high on the energy level. <laughs> you know, I know that. <laughs> but I, everybody's not like me. But like when I'm talking with you, I feel that energy. So I feel that. Yeah. So I'm really excited, audience, and I know you all are excited to continue this conversation. And we might have to break this interview up into small pieces so okay. we can eat it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so we can digest this because I think this would be another one or two. Maybe even take it to this, the, um, the levers, understand the levers, because I yep. believe building trust, we want to know, like I'm at, I'm still at benevolence, um, integrity and ability, and you're saying there's right. seven. So I need, I'm going to- you know, we need, to, we need to cover the yeah. rest. <laughs> well, and, so, and you've got a great start at this because what I advise for people when they talk about building trust is I say, make yourself a little bit vulnerable first and then yeah. see if the other person responds. Yeah. And you do that naturally, which is beautiful. Yeah. I, 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 I think I was born like that, but I, I, I wait, you know, I, I, no, really. I, and I think not trusting and learning to like open myself up and and when because I'm a I'm a um, childhood survivor of sexual abuse, so okay. I think taking therapy and the counseling and using learning to use because you can get tools but you gotta learn how to use them. You know you can have a hammer but don't know what to do with the hammer. So right. I learned to use them and learned when to use them, how to use them, 
where to use them. And I think learning that it took me a while to trust because I trusted no one. So right. I walked around with resting bitch face. So could you imagine? <laughs> every day, every day, every day was like that. Okay. And one time this person said, why are you so mad all the time? And I was like, I'm not mad. I didn't realize it was showing up on my face. Right. So I had to change. Even that you have to change in order to open up and be vulnerable and start to get trust from people. So yeah, yeah. it's a learning process. And you're the one who helped me to continue on and my audience to continue on. So I want to ask you, would you accept the, the invitation for one, two, and three? Absolutely. Thank you. So your audience, yeah. you know who's going to be back. Now, where can they contact you anytime to talk to you? So they can reach out to me. Uh, my website is trustunlimited.com. And they can find me at daryl at trustunlimited.com if they want to send me an email. I'm also okay. on LinkedIn, Daryl Stickle. And they can pick up my book anywhere online. Uh, it's okay. on Amazon or okay. uh, Barnes and Noble or, or whatever. Um, right. And there's there's plenty of articles written on the blog section that people can just access for free if they want. Okay. They can check out my Seeing Eye Dog Drake, who's the director of goodness, the DOG. <laughs> okay. So. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so this brings us to the end of the show, part one, audience. So I want to thank you, Daryl, for being on the show today. Thank you for being an enlightening and inspiring, I guess, person of trust. And you will be back. Audience, look for us very soon with parts two and three. Thank you thanks, for being here. And thanks the audience, because you could be anywhere else, but you're with us today. Thanks so much. Yes.